Father in heaven, Lord, all of us here gathered this evening have sinned against you and against heaven. And Father, we are not worthy to be called your daughters or your sons. But Father, your son will forever be worthy to be called our Savior. And so we ask that it is he and not me that speaks this evening. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, happy Sabbath. It's good to be here. It took us about seven, maybe seven and a half hours to come to, to drive down from, from North California. And at one point we thought, this is just going to take way too long. We're going to get here at maybe 7.30. Um, and we had a really cool experience, or at least I felt we did. And we just started singing as the sun set. And we took out our hymn books and our phones and we were just praising the Lord. And before we knew it, there was no traffic. Um, and we were here maybe a minute or two early. But maybe my watch is a little fast. Um, so as was said, my name is Dean Cullinane. I was born in um, 1991, um, so I'm 25 years old. I recently shaved before I looked about 45 years old. And um, I was born in the Republic of Ireland um, in a, a city called Galway. And I left Galway in the year 1999 with my mother and with my younger brother. And we moved to London. And I stayed in London until I moved um, here to Weimar, or to California, um, January 1st last year. So hence why the accent is slightly jumbled up. But um, I want to share with you the story of how the Lord won my heart. Um, how he managed to come to where I am and, and reach me and change my life completely. And a lot of that started when I had finished... Um, secondary school. So we finished school in the UK when we were 16 years old. And then after that, education is optional. And I had done pretty well at school. Um, my grades were, were good enough to, to, for me to be able to choose where I was going to study next. Uh, I wanted to go into investigative journalism. I liked to write. I still like to write. And another opportunity had opened up during that summer where I was making these decisions. Um, to go to a football academy. Now, by football, I mean the real football, you know, the circular one, not the egg-shaped thing that, that you guys throw with your hand and call it football. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Um, so so I, I ended up deciding to go to this football academy and, and put my educational studies to the side um, and just focus on sports. Um, and this is all I wanted to do. This is what I dreamed of doing as a child. I wanted to be a football player or to help... You visualize it, a soccer player. And I remember starting there and everything was going so well. And about two or three months into my experience there, I was maybe 16 years old, I tore one of my quadriceps. Um, and that meant that I couldn't really do any strenuous physical activity for maybe about four months. Now, four months is a long time when you're talking about sports season. And um, I had to regularly, in fact, every day of the week, bar Sunday, um, I had to go to the physiotherapist there at our football academy. And he would do some gamma ray technology kind of thing on me. And then I would have to stay and sit and watch all of my fellow teammates train for the whole day. And I had to attend all of their matches. And it was, it was excruciatingly painful mentally, not just physically. Um, and I, 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 got, I got really, I don't want to say really depressed because I'm only 25. Um, I was maybe as depressed as I could have been at that time for someone my age and with someone that had the life experiences that I had had. 
And it was at that age, about 17 years old now, where I got involved with um, uh, a young lady. And this was my first um, maybe serious relationship. Um, it didn't last too long. It lasted about six months. But six months when you're 17 years old, that's a long time. People get married and divorced in six months. Right? So this was serious. This was a life-changing relationship that was taking place. Um, and, and, you know, I liked the girl and we got together and um, life happens. That's the best way to put it. Um, and I found out the more I got into the, the, the deeper I got into the relationship with her, that she had a few issues that I wasn't capable of, of sorting out. You know how sometimes when you come into someone's life, you think you can fix all their problems? I tried. Um, but neglected my own problems and tried fixing someone else's and it just wasn't happening. It turns out that she had really um, severe, how do I put this politely? Um, in, she, she was kind of insecure and she had good reason to be. When she was but a young girl, um, her mother committed suicide and left a note, you know, a suicide note. Um, she left a, a suicide note but in that note, she only mentioned how much she loved her little sister. And she didn't mention her. And so, as you can imagine, she, she had some security issues from that. Um, and the relationship went places that I wasn't willing to go. It required someone that I wasn't willing to be. And so I stepped away from that. Um, but at this time, I was, I was still at the football academy. And I was still trying to do my thing. And again, another injury struck me. And I wasn't playing for about another four or five months again. And... Things somehow got worse. The academy that I was at, they paid for my um, college on the side. And so we would study some sort of um, science. I was studying biomedical science, um, physiotherapy and nutrition. And so they were paying this. And in order to progress to the academy to the point where you're getting paid to be a, a player, you needed to graduate from the school. There was like a working relationship between the two. And it came to the final semester of my school. And the way the school was run was a little bit strange. In that all of the work throughout the whole semester would be handed in on the last day of school. So it's not handed in throughout the semester. It's handed in right at the end. You come, you bring this big portfolio, and that's marked, and you get your results maybe a month or two later. Now, what had happened was, a week before the last semester, my house was burgled. Someone brought... All right, let me, let me step back. Two weeks before that, my house was burgled. But the people that came in, they didn't take anything. I remember the, the police officer coming to my house after I'd, I'd called them, came and he said, he said, well, it doesn't seem they took anything. He said, don't worry, because nobody is dumb enough to come to the same house a second time. And I thought, he's got a point. He's got a point. One week later, that person decided to come back. And they took everything. And when I, when, I, when I say everything, I mean anything that would fit out the front door. We've got small front doors in England. But anything that would fit out the front door... They would take it. They took it. In fact, my first, my first thought was, oh, my schoolwork. I need my schoolwork. And so I ran upstairs. I saw that my computer, not my laptop, my computer, my desktop, my hard drive, and my screen, and my mouse, and my keyboard, everything was taken. So I said, oh, yes, I know that I've got a backup. I went under my mattress to get my hard drive, and that too was gone. That too was gone. Turns out that the person that, that uh, took our things actually knew us pretty well. Um, and so I remember going into school, and I, I told them, I said, look, my house has been burgled. I don't have any work to hand in this semester. 
And the simple response was tough. Tough. And I said, okay, okay. Maybe you don't believe me. Maybe that's the thing. Because, you know, teachers don't trust students these days. Maybe they do here. They do in my school most of the time. Um, and so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get one of those crime reports from the police. So I got the crime report with the crime reference number. I brought it. I was like, look, my house was actually burgled. I was telling the truth. And they said, no, we believed you the first time. It just nothing's going to happen. If you don't have work to, to hand in, then you're not progressing. So I ended up being kicked out of the college. The football academy told me that I could no longer, the soccer academy told me I could no longer continue. Um, and I was just at home. And I had all of these, all of these prospects, all of these dreams and ideas, seeing my name in lights and being this person and everyone knew my name and everyone knew where I was from and what I was doing. I was making a lot of money. I had, I had a lifestyle that people only dream of. Not Adventists. Adventists don't dream of those lifestyles, right? Um, but there I was. Everything taken. No prospects, no job opportunities, no one wanted to employ me. I hadn't got any college grades. No football academy would take me because I didn't progress from one that wasn't even that great in the first place. And life just started to spiral, spiral down continuously. Every time I thought I'd reached the bottom, I hadn't. And I found myself in a dark place. Around this time, my, my ex-girlfriend now, she was trying to get in contact with me, uh, constantly calling and texting. And one night she texted me. She said, I'm going to call you. I didn't respond. And then she called. I was surprised. We hadn't spoken in months. And then she called me and she said, Dean, I'm in Knightsbridge. And Knightsbridge is a very nice area in London. Anyone ever heard of Harrods? Huge shopping center. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, she said, I'm in Knightsbridge. She, she owned a room in the hotel there. I said, okay, that's nice. And she said, I'm sitting on the window. I said, okay, okay. Good, that's fresh air. All right, fresh air, that's good. New start. Um, and then she said, I'm going to give you a choice. You can take me back or I'm going to jump out the window. I thought about it for a few seconds. And I said, okay, jump. Phone went dead. And I'm telling you this because I want you to understand where my mind was, where God had to go to get me. I didn't think about it when the phone went dead. The phone went dead and I went to sleep and I slept better than I slept in a long time. And I woke up the next morning and I didn't even remember. It didn't even cross my mind, not even once. In fact, three days went by before I thought, wait, hold on. That was the last thing I heard. And I sat down and I, I tried to contemplate the kind of person that I'd become. My mother raised me by herself and she raised me you know, to respect people and to have good values. Not in a religious way. We were brought up Roman Catholic, but no real religious persuasion. And I sat down and I thought, a young lady might not be alive because I don't care. I looked as I was looking down into my ground. I saw my dresser to the left where I kept my socks, where I was hiding drugs from my friends. I looked over to my little brother who was in the bed right next to mine, thinking, what kind of influence am I having on this guy's life? Dark thoughts. I, um, I went... 
I lived on the 14th floor. See, in London, we don't have much space. We just go up. I lived on the 14th floor. And I found myself sitting at my window, looking down. Scared to death of heights, by the way. But looking down, thinking to myself, why not? Like, if I choose not to, what am I, what am I gaining? Don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. I wasn't even brave enough to make that decision. I had zero willpower. Not that it's brave to take your own life. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I just sat there because I was so down. I was so depressed. I was so, I was so out of touch with reality that I just sat there. Aimlessly gazing into the stars. I remember just going and sitting in my bathtub. No water. Just in the bathtub. It was at that time for the first time in my life that I prayed. And I didn't even know it was praying. I said, God, I don't even know if you're there. I don't even know if that's your name. But man, I need help. If there is someone there, I need help. I got out of the bathtub eventually. I went downstairs, went onto my computer, got a new one. And I went on Facebook. How many of you have Facebook here? None of you? Oh, a few. A few unrighteous like myself. And so I went on Facebook. And for those of you that are familiar with it, you know the chat box down in the right-hand corner? You click and then all the names come up and you can choose someone that you want to instant message. So I'm looking through those names. And I see the name of someone that I actually know, which is rare on Facebook, <laughs> at least for me, to have someone there that I actually know. I'm like, whoa, okay. So I clicked on this person. Now, when I was much younger, I was about 15 years old. Um, it, was a, it was a girl, by the way. I was 15 years old. Uh, I was in a relationship with this girl, and she was 13 years old. We were super young, right? You guys are like, that wasn't a relationship. No, no. To 15 and 13-year-olds, that was as close to marriage as you get legally, right? And so I messaged her, and I don't know, maybe the young people can relate to this a little more. I messaged her, and I was like, hey, and she just responded, hey. Okay, I was expecting that. It's going smoothly right now. I said, how are you? Guess what she said? I'm fine. And then what did she say? How are you? I said, I'm fine. <laughs> and then what do you say? Where does the conversation go? Do you talk about the weather? It's 11.30 p.m. Everywhere's dark. <laughs> Where the, the conversation just normally, it dies right there. But then she said, hey, I'll call you. I said, oh, okay. That, the conversation doesn't normally go there. Okay, you can call me. Give her my number. She told me she was calling me because her dad wanted to use the computer. And I was like, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't buy that until she said that she would call me. I was like, okay, maybe he is, maybe he is using the computer. And she calls me. And I spoke to her from maybe 11.30 p.m. right through to 10 a.m. in the morning. Long conversation. Luckily, phone bills were a little bit cheaper back then. And you know, in that whole conversation... She didn't say anything. Other than the, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Wow. 
Wow, that's deep. And I'm just, I'm just unloading. I'm just speaking. I'm just getting it all out. It's, it's all coming off my chest. And here, well, I, 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 this happened to me. And then this happened to me. And I've done this. And I've done that. And this is where I am. Wow. Okay. 11 hours on the phone. I remember, I, remember, I remember my little brother waking up to go to school. And I pretended that I was still asleep. And he was shaking me like, Dean, wake up. Wake up. And I'm just there like... Just shaking, like, I'm, I'm asleep, leave me alone. And, and I can still hear that static through the phone line. And, you know, we said, oh, if, if you're ever free and I'm ever free at the same time, then, then let's get together. You know, let's go out, let's do something. And that happened. Again, this conversation is going places I didn't think it was going to go. And we ended up going out. We watched a super lame movie. Super lame. I'm not going to tell you what it is because that will give it too much glory just by saying its name. Super lame. And after that movie, you know, we talked about getting back together. And, you know, this was, this was three years later, right? Three years later. So we'd met when we were 15 and 13. And three years later, we're meeting again. And we tried to keep it a secret from her parents. The same way we tried to keep it a secret from her parents the first time. Now, I'll just, I'll just let you guys know. If you haven't figured it out already, that doesn't work. Should I tell you why it doesn't work? I figured it out. There's angels that specifically tell parents what their children are doing. I'm, I'm so sure. When I found that out, I was like, oh, it makes sense. Because there's no other way. There's no other logical conclusion as to why they're able to find out everything. So the first time we tried to keep it from her parents. And it didn't happen. After like a month or two. It was only three months long. But after about a month or two. Her dad finds out, and I remember I was dropping her home one day from school, just walk, dropping, I don't have a car, I walked her home, and I saw him, the door open, and I saw him come out the door, and I was like, oh, oh no, and I, said, I was like, okay, bye, I'm, I'm, I'm gone now, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow, I'm turning around, and I see this man run out the door, and he runs into his car, this big red car, and he starts driving after me, and I'm sprinting, I'm sprinting all down the roads, all out the back roads, I knew the area well, and, and eventually I, I lost him. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm still here today. Um, but three years later, three years later, he finds out after one month. After one month, and he calls me. Actually, did he call me? I don't remember. Maybe she called me and told me that he found out. But anyways, she said, she said he wants to meet you. And now I'm 19 years old. Father wants to meet me. I can do that. I'm a man. All right, when I was, when I was 15, 16, I ran. That's in the past. Now I'm a man. Right now I can stand up for my own decisions. I'm like, yeah, I'll meet him. I'll meet him today. She's like, okay. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> okay. So I go there. I'm sitting down. I'll try and paint the picture. Right, so, so the room's not big. Like I said, small houses. We just build up. So there's a small living room. And then there's one of these, not even lying, there's one of these stools just here by the piano. The piano's just there. They like music. And then there's a... A sofa here, two-seater. Sofa here, two-seater. And then there's, there's, over here, there's my girlfriend and her mom. And then over here is her dad and her older sister. And then I, I'm just here. I'm just here, cornered. It's a little bit difficult to, to maneuver my way out of that situation. Um, one of the hardest parts was the fact that they didn't speak English. Um, so everything just sounded aggressive, probably because everything was aggressive. 
Um, but I just remember her mom sitting down and just, just squealing and, and, and crying almost that, you know, her, her wonderful daughter was, was, was going to get with someone like me. Um, and then her dad said something that blew my mind. He said something that blew my mind. He said this. If you want my blessing to be with my daughter, I want you to go to church with her just once. I thought to myself, Merry Christmas. <laughs> once. Just once. You just want me to go once. Now, here's the thing. Things got lost in translation. He didn't really mean that, but that's what he said. Are you with me? <laughs> so I was like, I'm taking that. I'm taking that with both hands. When's the next time you're going to church? Friday night. Like, that's kind of strange. <laughs> Not Sunday morning? <laughs> no, no, Friday night. I'm like, I'll work with it. I just have to go once. Friday night comes. We're going to this program in this, this Seventh-day Adventist church. I'm like, okay, sounds interesting. I go to this program. Anyone here ever seen <clears throat> the movie Sister Act? I know you guys don't watch movies, obviously. But maybe, maybe, maybe before you met Christ, maybe you, you watched Sister Act. Anyone ever watched Sister Act? Whoopi Goldberg, I know you guys don't know who she is, but you know, she was one of the main characters. Right, so some of you are familiar. So you know what it's kind of like when they really get into the music, right? Right, they're, they're a little bit excited, just a little, a little excited. And, and that's kind of what church was like that night. Very extravagant and very dancey and crazy. And there was this one girl behind me, really, really annoying me, just riffs after riffs after riffs. I didn't even know they were called that. You pick these things up. And, and eventually, they put all the music to the side and there was a testimony section. This old lady stands up. She, she's in the middle of, of the, the seating area. She stands up. She's maybe this tall. And she says, You know, church, you know how I've been struggling with cancer? Well, I prayed, and the Lord took away my cancer. And I was like, what? No, he didn't. No way. He just, he just took your cancer like that? Right. This next lady, maybe four seats down, she stands up, she says, and church, you know how I've been unemployed for the past however many days and months and years? He said, yes. He said, well, I ran out of money completely and I needed to feed my children and I was walking home one day and there was 50 pounds and I just found the 50 pounds and I was able to, to pay for my children's food and we, we ate. And the church is like, amen, hallelujah. And I'm like, it's a, it's a trap. It's a trap. They brought me here on the Friday night and they're going to give me all of these extravagant stories to try and trick me into continuously, you know, joining their church. So if I ever don't have money, the Lord will give me 50 pounds. And if I ever get cancer, I just pray and he'll take it away. I was like, I know you guys. Figured you out. And it's not even one night finished yet. But I thought I just wanted to be here for one night. Last testimony. There's a man. He was playing the keys. He's sitting up in the corner, slightly elevated. It's dark in there. Some light shining through right on him. Kind of crazy. And he gives a testimony about his work. He's a computer software engineer. He's going, he's, he's, you know, freelance. He goes from company to company to fix their software. And he goes into this place and he has one week to fix all of their machines. And so he's fixing, he's trying as hard as he can. And he's working throughout the week and everyone's waiting for him to finish his job. And they get to Friday night and the sun's starting to set. And he says, I had to make a decision because I hadn't finished. Either I'm going to finish my work so I can get paid or I'm going to go home with everything unfinished and trust that the Lord is going to do something because I don't want to break his Sabbath. Now I'm thinking... 
easy decision. Finish your job. Go home. Get your money. Feed your wife and your newborn son. Do the right thing. <laughs> Not this guy. This guy's like, so I went home. And I'm like, he went home. I'm waiting for the funeral arrangements for wife and child. He went home. I said he went home. So he went home to his wife. He explained the situation. And he said that all she said was, let's pray. And he said, I thank the Lord for a praying wife. He said he went in on Sunday morning when it was due to be opened. And there it was opened. And he sees the manager. And the manager catches his glimpse and walks up to him fiercely and, and at a pace. And meets him almost nose to nose and says, sir, if we ever have a problem with our computers again, you're going to be the first one that we call. Hands him a check. Gave him a little bit extra as well. And I was like, whoa. Let me tell you why. Lady that got cured of cancer, fantastic. Amazing. Lady that found 50 pound note, great. But both of them sound pretty good right now. This guy in my eyes doesn't sound like a hero. Are you with me? Because the way that I'm looking at it from a non-religious standpoint, he left his family. He didn't provide. But he went home with faith. And I thought there's no reason for him to lie about that. Because he doesn't look good from it. Cancer lady and money lady, they look good. But he doesn't look good with this story. That perked an interest. An interest that I never thought would, would be there in my life. And so I said to myself, I said this. I said, that, that sounds cool, but maybe there was a way around it. Maybe something happened. I don't know. Maybe his twin brother went and fixed it up. I don't know. But I was like, I need to know. I need to be sure that God isn't real. I need to, I need to, because right now I just think. Are you with me? Right now I think he's not real, but I need to be sure that he's not real. So everyone's telling me, hey, you know, God revealed himself through his word. Okay, cool, let me buy one of those. So I buy this word on Amazon, cheapest one I could find, King James Version. They told me you can only read King James Version. <laughs> so I'm sitting down um, by my letterbox. Letterbox, do you guys have letterboxes here? No, they're like holes in the, in the door where they put the post, because we don't leave our post outside, because important things go in there, and we want them to come into the house, not outside the house, right? So I'm sitting down, I'm sitting on the stairs right by the letterbox, and I'm waiting, and a whole day goes by, it doesn't come, and it was due to come that day, and another day goes by, and it doesn't come. Third day now, my manager told me when I started working, if you miss three days and I don't hear from you, don't come back. Third day, I'm sitting down, I'm like, man, what am I going to do? It gets to like 11, I start work at 10. And I start to hear footsteps. Sure enough, the letterbox opens. In comes this rectangular rock. Dish, onto the floor. So I take it and I run upstairs. I put it under my pillow. I run to work. And I beg the manager to keep, let me keep my job. He lets me keep it. And all I'm thinking about now is I need to get home and make sure that God isn't real. So I get home. Now I had to wait till really late. I had to wait till about 11.30 when everyone in my house was asleep. Because you don't read Bibles in my house. Are you with me? Mm-mm. No, no, no. When we went to church, we had someone to do that for us. You don't need to read the Bible. Anything that you need to know from there, that man with the nice white collar, he's going to tell you. So, I waited till everyone was asleep, got my bed covers, pulled them over my head, took out this Bible, put on this book light. I'm like, okay, what's the first book called? Genesis. Like, I don't believe that. I don't believe creation. Let me just go to the first, first part where I hear about this guy, Jesus, this God. So I go to Matthew. I'm reading. I read through Matthew. Matthew. I'm like, wow. Read through Mark. Read through Luke. Read through John. And I'm thinking, this doesn't make sense. 
And let me tell you why I didn't think it made sense. Because I'm thinking, if this is God, and this is how God wants to reveal himself to his creation, then why has he given us a book where everyone just messes up? Are you with me? Why has he given us a book where every single person fails? Any task they're given, they can't do it. Just one guy. One guy gets it right every time. But everyone else messes up and I'm thinking, you know, if this was fabricated, then everything would look beautiful and everything would be great and he would be accepted and he would be loved and he would be taken in and he'd be made to be exactly what he deserves to be, but no one likes him. So I wanted to know more about this guy, this Jesus. Some time went by and there was um, an evangelistic campaign taking place. Um, maybe about 10 miles from where I live. 10 miles is big in London. The whole thing is like maybe 25 miles long. And I get invited to this campaign. It's called something like, I want to go to heaven or when we all get to heaven, something like that. Two young men, two young men from London preaching, night in, night out, every night. And I don't even, get this, get this. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't understand the subject material. I don't know the difference between the holy place and the most holy place. I don't know where the New Testament starts, where the Old Testament begins. I'm just listening to them and I'm not understanding a word they're saying. Not because they're speaking in a different language, but because I was so captivated by the passion that they had. I was like, hold on, you're telling me that there's 23 year olds and 24 year olds here in London that believe that thing is real, that believe that that book is inspired, that believe that God, that his son came and died for our sins. There's young people that believe that. I don't care what they had to say. They believed it. I was like, wow. Wow. In today's world, two young men believe what's in that book. So I went to another campaign. This was a little bit closer in West London, a church called Chiswick. And I'm there. This lady, female pastor, comes over from the US. Pastor Paula, I believe she studied at Oakwood. She comes over. Man, this lady could preach. This lady could preach. I was understanding. One week goes into the campaign. She makes an altar call. And I'm just like, yes, I'm coming up. Because everyone else is coming up, you know, so there was a time when we sat down and listened and now there's a time when we just go up. So I just woke up. She's like, if anyone wants to be baptized at the end of this campaign, then just raise your hand. And I'm just like, (laughs) I know what that means. She prayed for like a minute. At the end of the prayer, I opened my eyes and I saw this. And I was like, Elders come up, they're like, okay, fill out this card. I'm like, I'm getting baptized. Cool. I'm getting baptized. I go home. I say, Mom, I need to speak to you. This time she's remarried. And I bring her into the front room with my stepdad. I sit her down. And I'm understanding why I'm making the decisions that I'm making. I sit down. I say, Mom, listen, I've got something to tell you. I'm getting baptized. And she said, No, you're not. And I said, I didn't actually say this. I was thinking this in my mind. I was like, well, if I wrote that down, that wouldn't have had a question mark at the end. 
That would have been an exclamation mark. It wasn't, I wasn't asking, it was, a, it was a statement of intent. Are you with me? I was like, no, no. But I am getting baptized. She said, no, you're not. You're Catholic. I said, hmm. <laughs> not really. I was going to say, neither are you, but I didn't. <laughs> At the end of that conversation, that conversation lasted like an hour. She said, so what am I, what am I wearing to this baptism? And I was like, the Lord is working. The Lord is working. That following week, <clears throat> that following week I was baptized. All previously, maybe a month or two before that, I was having Bible studies with my girlfriend and her sister. She was, she was taking me through the books of Daniel and Revelation. Showing me the prophecies of Daniel 2, the prophecies of Daniel 7 and Daniel 9. Showing me that I didn't need to take a leap of faith. That I could see that everything was just as God said it would be. That the facts were there, that the geography backed it up, that the history backed it up, that it was right there. <clears throat> I remember we built a sanctuary. You know, out of house materials, we built the sanctuary. And we walked through the plan of salvation. I'm like, this is what I need in my life. So one week later, one week later, I'm baptized. I'm baptized. And you know when they say, Oh, now that you're baptized, people, you know, you know, after the baptism, everyone comes up because everyone has advice, right? Everyone's been through the trenches, so I have to share my experience. I can't leave without telling you what I've done. So people come up, people come up and they're like, brother, brother Dean, that was my new name now, I inherited that name, brother Dean. I'm like, okay, brother Dean, I can work with that. Brother Dean, you're going to have a honeymoon period. And I'm like, I got baptized, not married, but... Okay, what do you mean? There's, well, there's going to be a short period of time where, you know, everything's going to seem great, but then the devil's going to come. And the devil's going to tempt you, and he's going to try and bring you back to your old life. I was like, whew, all right. Thanks for the warning. Thanks for the heads up. I didn't get a honeymoon period. As soon as I left church, I got a text from my parents Angry as anything you've ever seen before. Distraught with the decisions that I made. My mom was there, by the way, during the baptism. She cried as I was dipped into the water. But when she got home, things didn't say, stay that way. No honeymoon period. Straight into the trenches. The devil came straight on the attack. But I was like, it doesn't matter. I can get through this. Christ can get me through this. He's given me a rock. That rock was my girlfriend. Sitting with her all the time. But that rock was soon going to be taken away. Because as I said, her parents, her parents weren't too happy that I had got converted. Because they, they saw that I had got converted so that I would be with her. They didn't think it was genuine. And so they sent her to Brazil. You know Brazil? Like, Brazil, right? Yeah. Not, not, for you guys, like, oh, Brazil. No, for us, it's like, Brazil. <laughs> Sends her there to go to uni. Didn't tell her that at first, by the way. Kind of like, hey, you know, go. You know, you're from there. Get in touch with your culture. You know, spend time with the rest of your family. Well, that sounds good. Brazil, nice, good weather, hot, hot winters. Get there. Oh, by the way, you're going to stay and, you know, just, just do studying things and get degrees and get a good life. Yeah, that, that, that's what you need. 
And I'm, I'm in London by myself, just me and Jesus. <laughs> and I'm like, so what do I do? Do I have to go to the same church every week? Is it wrong if maybe I sleep in on a Saturday and miss Sabbath school? Like, how, how do I do this? How do I maneuver my way through this Christian life? What, is, what does Christian life look like? Do I do the baptism thing and then it's like, hey, you know, see you in the kingdom, Brother Dean? I had to make a decision. Two weeks after I was baptized, I had to make a decision. Either I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it properly. I'm just going to leave. Let me tell you, now is not the time for us to be playing games. You know that? Now is not the time for us to be, you know, I attend church. Who cares? God doesn't want an Adventist on the seventh day. He wants a Christian seven days of the week. So I was like, I have to make a decision. Am I going to live for this guy that I believe has saved my life? I'm going to just play church because I'm not about that. following week, one of the guys that was um, preaching during that first campaign, one of the young men, he calls me up. In fact, it was, on the, it was on the day of my baptism. He said, hey, Dean, what are you up to? I said, oh, Brother Sean, you know. Said, Brother Sean, I'm catching on. Said, Brother Sean, um, I was baptized today. He was like, yeah. He's like, listen, I want you to give your testimony at this event that I'm planning. I was like, sure, Brother Sean, I'll do that. Now, see, a little disclaimer. I didn't realize that if you're a Christian that you could say no. No one told me that. I just thought, Christian, you have to say yes. If someone needs help, help them. If someone asks you to do something, you just do it. So he's like, I need you to do this testimony. Brother Sean, of course. I remember getting there. It was 18th of, De of December, 2010. Victoria, London. Not Victorian London. In Victoria, in London. And I get to this place, small door. Like I said, small doors in England. Walk in, and I'm going downstairs. I go downstairs, and there's a girl there. And she's leaning on the table. The table's a bit shorter than this, maybe like here. And over in the corner, there's a circle of people singing, doing musical things, you know? Harmonies and alto and tenor and blah, 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 blah. And then so they're there doing all these things, and I'm just like, okay, I don't even know how you do that. That's kind of cool. But I'm, I, I see this girl who's not over there, but right next to me. And she's just leaning on this table, and she's just gazing off somewhere. And I'm, I'm like, hi. And she's like, <laughs> I was like, this is strange. And I could hear, I could hear a, a sound, like as if someone's phone was vibrating. And I looked on the table, and it was her hands. She was just, and I was like, um, are you okay? She's like, yep. I was like, okay, and then I started to get nervous because she was nervous and I didn't know why she was nervous and she wasn't telling me why she was nervous and there's people over there doing crazy things with their voice and I'm just standing here like, where am I? This guy comes down the stairs. He's like, okay, everyone, um, we'll have you upstairs now and so the, the, whatever you call them, the choir or the, the praise team, praise team, like praise team go up and then this girl walks ahead of me, like kind of vibrates her way up the stairs and then I'm walking behind her, semi-vibration because I don't really know what's happening. I get up there, I see this massive platform, mass like, like long, about as long as the width of this room. Like wow, there's like microphone after microphone after microphone. So I'm standing like here and I'm looking at the platform thinking, what? And there's people there with a guitar, and then there's a guy in the corner with the drums, and then he has, you know, the, the big shield around the drums in case the drum guy kills you, right? So it's just to protect everyone. 
And then, and then I'm just like, wow, these, these, am I, am I going to sing? What's kind of, and I'm walking. And then, and then I turn this way. I see this massive auditorium of like 800 people. And I'm on the stage. I'm not meant to be on the stage, but I'm just on the stage like, whoa, there's a lot of people here. And then the guy's like, okay, come down. So I'm like, okay, I'm coming down. And I'm sitting on, I'm sitting on the chair and I hear the noise again, but this time it's me. This time, I'm the one vibrating on the chair. And I'm, I'm looking at the girl, and like, we're, we're, we're vibrating in harmony now. There's, we're in sync with one another. Are you with me? She goes up, and she, she's doing a poem. It's a, it's a day of fellowship. You guys have that over here? Days of fellowship. It's when all the young people from all over the, the, that part of the conference just come together, and everyone dresses really nice. And, you know, there's a big charismatic preacher, and it's just great, lovely food, blah, blah, blah. And then so she goes up, and she's given her poem, and, you know, her voice is trembling and she starts to cry. And at this time now I'm vibrating all by myself, just thinking, oh man, I'm going to have to go up there. And then my friend comes and sits next to me, the same guy, the preacher. He comes in and he's like, uh, Dean, you're going to go up next. And I'm like, <laughs> he's like, no, 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 you, you're going to go up next. He's like, just, just, just go. And I was like, what? He's like, just go now. I'm like, what is this? Just, just go now. He's like, do you want me to come up with you? And I was like, yes. He's like, I'll, I'll introduce you. I was like, great. Thank you, brother Sean. And then so we come up, and he's like, everyone, I'd like you to meet Dean. <laughs> and I'm just there, and I'm vibrating on the pulpit now, like, oh, my days. And I have, I have a piece of paper with me. I'm like, can't read it. Don't know what it says. And I just start praying. Just, just pray. I'm just like, Lord, help me. Amen. Nerves are gone. Nerves are gone, just like that. In an instant. I feel like I was doing something that I've been doing all my life. I speak for five minutes. I haven't got a clue what I said. Don't even know what language I spoke. And I sat down afterwards, vibrated back to my seat. And then after the program, this girl came up to me. And she's like, hey, you know, I was really blessed by what you said. And I was like, how does that work? You know, this is how fresh I was. I was like, how do I bless you? God blesses us. How do I bless you? She's like, I want you to come to my church and speak at my church. I'm like, okay, can't say no. Yes. So I go to her church. And I find out when I get there, oh, this is a Ghanaian church. I'm like, yeah, but, but I'm not. I'm not Ghanaian. Like, no, you're going to have an interpreter. I was like, oh, and he's going to speak at the same time as I'm speaking? No, no, you'll do a sentence, he'll do a sentence. I'm like, so that means that, that, that whatever I say, he's going to say, right? And like, yeah, like, so however long it takes me to say what I'm going to say, it's going to take him that same amount of time, right? Like, yeah, I was like, so I, I kind of prepared like something for maybe like an hour. And they were like, yeah, no, no, no. No, no, you do half of that and then he does half of that. And I'm like, okay, right. Let me just preach half the sermon. I don't know how to reorganize things. I just go from the beginning to the middle and then hopefully there's some sort of end there. And then so I'm preaching there and at the end of that, there's someone that was visiting that church that says, hey, why don't you come and speak at our church? I'm like, yes. And then so I end up going to their church and then I'm sitting down one time in my home church. I'm like, Lord, I'm tired of this speaking business. I don't know like what to do or why you keep making me do it. And then so the, our youth leader comes and says, all right, so our pastor's going away next week and we need someone to speak. And I'm like, no, I didn't say it out loud because you can't. But I said it in my mind. I said it in my mind, but I felt an impression that I should say yes. And then so I said this to the Lord silently. I said, I'll do it, but only if you say my name. If someone asks me by my name, then I'll do it. And then so this guy that I was baptized with was sitting in front of me, and he said, I'll do it. And I was like, yes. He said, but I'll do it only if Dean does it too. And I was like, oh my days. So we preach half a sermon each. He does the first half, I does the second half. But I wanted to, you know, my girlfriend, she was in Brazil, 
right? You remember that part? She was in Brazil. I wanted her to hear this was my, like, my first real sermon, you know, like in a language we both understood. So I was like, I spoke to some friends that I'd met at this day of fellowship. I said, you guys, you still do the whole video audio thing, right? They're like, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, well can you come to my church on this day because I'm speaking and I would like to get a recording of the sermon so I can send it to my girlfriend. You know, because it's kind of cool. First sermon, just got baptized two months ago. Maybe she'd be interested in that. So they come and they record. But then they tell me, Dean, we don't have any money. Do you? I'm like, no. How would I have money? They're like, well, then we can't make this. My friend Laith, he comes up with this design, to, uh, this plan to, to put it on YouTube, because it's free. So we put it on YouTube, and, and we, he's like, well, we need to call the, the name of the channel something. I'm like, okay, well, well let's, he says, let's call it Preaching Place, because it's the place where people are going to go to hear preaching. Okay. Oh, well, that makes sense. Logical. I like it. Simple. So he comes up with this extravagant logo of three angels, and the angels' tails merge into three different sevens. We call the channel Preaching Place 777. We put it online. We put it online for one person. And in a week, 200 people had watched it. We were like, what? 200 people? Who are they? There was about 200 people in the church, but I know they didn't go home and, and listen to the whole thing again. So he said, man, you know, we should keep doing this. Next time you're preaching, call us, we'll do it again. I'm like, okay, call them. We've done it again. We've got one of, my, one of the guys, in fact, both guys that preached when I when I first found the Lord, they then got involved. And so it was the three of us with our videographer and our sound guy. And we were there. And then before we knew it, at the end of the year, end of one full year, from January to December, on our YouTube channel, we had like 250,000 views. Amen. And then, you know, we got to go to GYC and we had our booth in GYC, big Great Britain flag. So everyone would be like, oh, the British are back. And then come over and we were selling them DVDs of the sermons and everything. And it was super cool. And ministry literally, without us even planning, without us even trying, it just happened. Amen. Just like that. But right in the midst of that, right in the midst of that, I ran into a problem. You see, when I had come to the church, I had heard so much about Jesus, right? So much about the Savior. So much about the cross and, and what he had done. But I never really heard much about God the Father. I heard a lot about God the Son. You know, His mercy and His grace and His love. But the Father, the picture that I had of the Father was one of judgment. Are you with me? One of judicial action. And that was kind of scary. I had this picture. I don't know if you've ever had this picture. And theologically, it doesn't make sense. But I felt like I had a relationship with the Son, but I was scared to death of the Father. I was called to be around someone that was going to cover me with His life. But when Judgment Day came, I was going to have to stand before this guy. Hear the prayers, you know, Our Father who art in heaven. And that never, that never internalized with me. I mean, I know it sounds strange, but my struggle was accepting God the Father. Let me tell you why.
When my mom was um, pretty young, maybe she was about 24 years old, she was engaged, right? So living in, in the Republic of Ireland, she was engaged. And she was out partying and doing her thing. You know, she was 24 years old. Um, doing things that you do at parties. Whatever, whatever, you, whatever that looks like to you probably is what, what was happening there. Now her fiancé, it was a Sunday night, I believe. Fiancé was like, you know, I'm going to go home because I've got work in the morning. I can take you home. And she was like, no, no, you know, you don't need, I don't need you to take me home. You know, that kind of independent woman stuff. I don't need a man. Existed even back then. So she stayed, he left. She stayed at the party and she's just doing her thing at the party. She's drinking a bit more and she's doing other things that she shouldn't be doing. But then it gets to maybe four in the morning and her fiancé's friend sees my mom just, you know, living it up in the party. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to take you home. So she, she's like, okay, let's go home. Now, where, where, where the party was, it's like, there was my, my grandmother's house, and then there was a big field, big field, and then there was the house where this party was at. And so, she, you know, she's in a car, and she's going home, she's in the back seat, whatever, she's, I don't know where her mind was. And then she's looking outside, and she's like, why are we in the car for so long? It's like, oh, don't worry, don't worry. And then she sees out the window, and she's like, where are we? And he turns around with a vodka bottle smashes her over the head, knocks her unconscious, and then he, he rapes her. Over and over and over. And that was 25 years ago. And so that's how I was conceived. That's how I was brought into the world. I was here because someone that my mother trusted couldn't control himself. Now, I knew that from when I was 10 years old. From 10 years old, I knew that I was a mistake. For 10 years, well, from the, from the age of 10 years old, I grew up thinking the reason that everything keeps failing, the reason that everything I try to do doesn't work, the reason why I'm not going anywhere in life is because I'm not meant to have one. Because that's not how you're meant to do things. No one, well at least one person didn't plan for that. So I'm a mistake. Makes sense. That's why it's kind of hard. That's why nothing really happens good. That's why there's just trouble after trouble after trouble. Because I'm not meant to be here in the first place. And so that is the view that I had of my father. My father is a man of the vilest degree. My father raped my mother. And here I am to tell the story. So when people in church then came and said, Hey, you know what, Dean? Let us tell you about the Father. I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with the Father. Thank you. Because when I needed a Father, I was alone. When I needed a Father, there was no one there to help me. When I was crying in my bathtub, what happened? 
when I needed help, when my, when my body was giving up, when my quadricep tore and when my house was burgled, where was my father? I was bitter. I was bitter. And then I read Matthew chapter 17. Or maybe it was Matthew chapter 15. Christ is teaching Peter about forgiveness. And he sums it up by saying, if you want to be forgiven, then you have to forgive. And I was like, but why? Why? The things that I've done pale in comparison to what he done, right? But Dean, you've been lying your whole life. Dean, a young lady's life rested in your hand and you let go. But Dean, you were killing other people when you're, when you're hiding drugs in your mother's house. I had to make a decision. If I was going to continue with the Lord, if I was going to allow Him to blot out my sins, if I was going to have Him forgive me, then I had to forgive my father. And that wasn't easy. But I can only stand here and say this evening that God, God the Father is more than I could ever have asked for. Because it was at that point in my life when I had to make the biggest decision ever put in front of me that He gave me everything I needed. He gave me every word of encouragement that I needed to hear. He brought me to people that showed me what love is. My mother kicked me out of my house. She said, Dean, you have to make a decision between your God or your family. I had to leave home just a few months after I was baptized. On that day, a friend calls me and says, Dean, I was praying for you this morning. I just want you to know, anything happens, come to my house. come to his house his parents are there he said what's up I told them I said okay this is your home you can stay here for as long as you want don't ever pay us bills don't be worried about buying food you just stay here I'd heard a lot about Christianity now I was seeing it seeing what it was really like it was those experiences it was those experiences that showed me that I can trust this. That showed me I could go to Psalms chapter 68. That showed me I can read verse 5 that says, A father of, a fa- of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. To those that have no father, he is a father. To those that have a father, he is a father. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I grew up my whole life thinking I had no purpose thinking there was no, there was no you know, logical reason for my existence, that I was here just aimlessly going throughout life. But when, when your life becomes one with this book, 
becomes one with the God that this tells us is real. You find purpose. You find exactly what He wants you to do. Exactly who He wants you to be. A father to the fatherless. Everything I needed, He was, He is, and He will ever be. You know, I've never met my father. Ever. Well, I guess that's a lie. I met him once when I was three years old when I walked into my front room and he was stabbing my mother because she was taking him to court. That's my dad. But that's not my father. Are you with me? Yeah, he played a part in making me here, but he's not the reason I'm here. He's the reason I'm here. Our God in heaven is the reason I'm here. Our God in heaven is the reason why you're here. I don't care how you came here or what circumstances you know, gave you life. Let me tell you that the Lord God of heaven is the reason why we're here today. And he has a purpose, a unique and individual purpose for every person gathered in this room and outside of it. Still haven't met my dad. But I've made peace in my heart. And I know that if God ever wills it, and we're ever in the same room together, by the strength of Christ, I'm going to be able to go to that man and say to him, Dad, I forgive you. She might not, but I forgive you. And I forgive you because God forgave me. That was the hardest decision I've ever had to make. After that period of time, I went to a a school of evangelism called Peace. Practical Evangelism and Adventist Christian Education. I went there maybe a year and a half into the church. Four months intensive evangelistic course. Found out why I believe everything that I believe saw the biblical evidence for every doctrine and every belief that I was meant to hold on to. Saw where my passion was. Realized what my calling was. I left there after four months. Became a Bible worker in London. Two and a half years. London didn't have any Bible workers. Just myself and one other guy. Worked there for two and a half years trying to sow seeds in one of the hardest mission fields in the world. I want to tell you this evening that at 19 years old, I was no one. I was a no one with no purpose, no reason for existence, no passion in life, no direction. But at 25 years old, Christ has found me. I'm sure I'll find what I need to find about myself further down the line, but he's found me. And he came down to where I was. He reached down, and his hand was not too short. The girl that was giving me Bible studies... I married her. She's sitting right there. 
you're not sure which one, just look for the most beautiful girl in the building. <laughs> Almost three years now, in, in just under two weeks we've been married for three years. I've been in love with the same person since I was 15 years old. And he's blessed us. He's blessed us so much. He's given us a life that we could never have dreamed of having. It was at that evangelism school, those four months, where she truly found the Lord also. She gave her life to the Lord. She was baptized. And he opened door after door after door. The Bible says, and I'll close with this, that any man that gives up his life for my sake, that gives up mother, father, brother, sister, home, or job, for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, he'll receive it a hundredfold. For a long time, I lost my family. God gave me a hundred families. For, 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 for my life, I had no purpose. And God gave me hundreds of different purposes, hundreds of different places to go to, countries to go to, people to see, people to speak to, people to reach and share exactly who this guy is. Maybe I lost my own family, but I, I, I gained a new one. I gained a wife. And one day we'll start our own family. One day we'll bring up our children in the fear of the Lord. One day we'll be able to tell them that the reason why we believe these things and the reason why we go these places and the reason why we do these things is because God found us. Brought us together. Not in ideal circumstances. She's in the church, I'm out of the church, neither of us really with the Lord. Let me give you some advice, young people. Don't mistake God's will for his mercy. Let me say that again. Don't mistake God's will for his mercy. Just because he hasn't put an end to it doesn't mean he agrees with it. But sometimes he just lets things happen the way they are. And miracles happen anyways. Can stand here and boast in the Lord that miracles happen even today. And if Christ can reach down to where I was, if Christ can reach down to where I was, then He can reach any one of you. He's a father of the fatherless, He's your father, He's a God of love. Tonight when you go home, think about giving him your life. Think about giving him your life. Because he's everything that you need and more. Let's pray together. And before we do, we've got good news. If God didn't die, <laughs> breathe. <sighs> no. I got in touch with her, she's fine. She has two little children now. She's getting married in a few months. God is good. He's everything that we need him to be and more. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Father of the fatherless. Thank you. Thank you for stooping so low. Thank you for all those second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Thank you that all the times we gave up on you, you persisted. 
you battled through our stubbornness. I want to thank you for the life and the love of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the real power of forgiveness, Lord. I know I am, but I know everyone else here is also grateful for the ability that you have to change lives. But maybe there's lives here today that haven't experienced that. I just want to commit them into your hands, Lord. Take them. Give them everything that they need to make the decision to surrender to you. Be there, Father. Bless this in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.